0: On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, we talk with Bill Eddy about co-parenting, gatekeeping, custody, and court. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, and today our guest is Bill Eddy. You have heard me talk about Bill Eddy many times throughout the history of this show. He is a social worker and a lawyer. He has written the book on educating judges and lawyers around the world about high-conflict people, so he's going to be here with us today today. You talk about co parenting and we even get into court issues as well and custody issues. But before we get to that interview, if you have not been to our website recently and want to be a guest on our Survivor Story show, our podcast, Please go please do go to narcissistapocalypse.com, top of the form. There is a button that says guest form. Click on that button, and away we will go from there. And we are also accumulating letters to our my narcissist compilation episode. And again, go to narcissistapocalypse.com side of the page. There's a button that says send voicemail. You press that button, you record up to five minutes, press it twice, records up to ten. We are accumulating those letters to my narcissist compilation letters. I've said it too many times for that episode. I have no idea what I'm saying, everyone. Anyway, we are accumulating those letters for that episode. And if you do not want to read the letter yourself and you want me or my old pal, Melissa, to read the letter for you instead, send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com and put letters to my narcissist in the subject line. And... You know, before we get to the show, uh, for everyone out there, we are running a little bit of a, I guess, a raffle of sorts. I guess that's what it's called. We're giving away ten twenty-five dollar gift cards to. Amazon. If you want to participate in a questionnaire we have about the demographics of this show, I will leave the link in the show notes for you. We're looking to, you know, we're doing some advertising. We're trying to get to know you guys better. So please, you know, fill out one of those uh, questionnaires for us. And we are doing the raffle on September 1st, 2021. And besides that, everyone, we have our Patreon if you want to support the show. So we have extra episodes that never made it to air. We have follow-up episodes with former guests and more. We have virtual support groups on there that we run every Wednesday and Saturday through Zoom. And we also have our support forum board. And over the next month to month and a half, things are going to be a little bit different on there. We're going to be adding in a lot more functionality. So stay tuned for that as well. And now, you know, without further ado, here is my episode with Bill Eddy. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. With me today, I have Bill Eddy. How are you?
1: Oh, I'm great. I'm really glad to be talking with you.
0: Well, this is a pleasure for me. Everyone who listens to this show over the last two years has heard me mention your name numerous times. And, you know, a couple of years ago, we did an episode with a divorce lawyer named Helen, and she was domestic violence uh, lawyer uh, and a divorce attorney uh, from Seattle. And she said, if, if you go and see a lawyer and they have never heard of Bill Eddy or has any of his books. Do not hire them. So that was my introduction to you. And, you know, you are... Uh, you know, you deal with high conflict personality theory, uh, you develop that concept, uh, you are a driving force behind people who present the most challenging behaviors uh, in, in the court system, and you're an expert in managing disputes involving high conflict situations, and five high conflict personality types, including a subset of those with narcissistic, borderline, antisocial, histrionic, and paranoid, paranoid personality disorder. You have trained over 200,000 professionals in 10 countries on understanding and managing high-conflict disputes, including lawyers, judges, mediators, managers, human resource professionals, business people, healthcare administrators, college administrators, homeowners, association managers, you know, law enforcement, therapists, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You are a former or you are you a social worker of 12 years then you became a lawyer uh you know you are you know as I say in most of my intros you were the foremost expert in these types of individuals in court but you also now are doing a lot of stuff with co-parenting family situations and today we're going to be talking about co-parenting so thank you uh for being here and I was introduced to you based on the biff system do it for me
1: Brief, informative, friendly, and firm. Firm, yes. And I can explain each part of that.
0: Oh, yeah, go for it right now. Thank you.
1: Okay, so the idea is, and I really learned this having been a therapist and then a family lawyer as my clients were getting in all these escalating email conversations. So I said, keep it brief. A paragraph is almost always sufficient. Even if you're responding to two pages of, hate mail, etc. Then informative, just focus on straight information, something, you know, what time an event is, who's going to be there, or something about healthcare, something about school grades or activities. Just keep it straight information, no opinions, no emotions, no judgments, no defenses, because that just escalates things. Just straight information. Then just have a friendly tone, like a friendly introduction, like you've made a request, they've responded, and it's hostile that you say, thank you for letting me know your point of view. Or at the end, it's Friday afternoon, have a good weekend, or something like that. Just a touch of friendliness. And then firm, meaning end the hostility of the conversation. So it doesn't mean be harsh. It's just like, you've said all you're going to say and and you're done and so i think of it as pouring cold water on the flames and it just takes out the conflict and the other person like there's nothing really they can do if they want to be keep being hostile there's nothing in there for them to be hostile about usually so uh yeah and and so we wrote this this recent book, BIF for Co-Parent Communication, with 28 examples of how to do that. And it's, it's a simple method, but it does take practice because you have to kind of restrain yourself a little bit.
0: And that's a good thing about your book. And, you know, there's a lot of different examples, but you also have the areas in the book as a, it's a workbook at the same time. And one of the interesting things when it comes to Biff, when you're dealing with people who are blame speaking, and you're trying not to do that yourself, there are certain situations where you have to assess: uh, do I respond to this, or do I not respond to this? And what is worthy of a response? Are you able to kind of explain what is worthy and what is not worthy?
1: Yes. So if you're just if it's just between you and the other person, usually co-parent and you're thinking, oh, well, I'm going to set them straight or I'm going to change how they think, that's probably not a response to bother with because you're not going to change how they think and you're not going to set them straight. Now, if there's information that needs to be shared or they're, they're misinformed and you need to clarify something, then that would be a reason and a Biff would be the way to do it. Now, if they've included other people, I recommend, you know, they've copied, like, your mother and your lawyer or something. I recommend that you give a BIF response and you also copy it to the same people because those are the people that start forming an opinion from the first email. And then once they see yours, they go, oh, okay, so she's taking care of it or he's, He's um not bothered by this. So I I think that's those are the, the key things is does if you're thinking of changing a mind, forget about it. If it needs to be informing other people or the single person, then you should go ahead with a BIF.
0: And when it comes to different forms of communication, you have some uh you know you know, former couples who are having a very difficult time communicating with email or by phone, and they have, I guess, special apps. So how's a way to kind of get around this special app uh, with also communicating to um, teachers and and maybe uh, instructors and things along those lines?
1: Well, I think just really being straightforward with it, because you know that it is going to show up somewhere. Somewhere else. So I think you should always, uh, you know, in a in a divorce or custody dispute, is write your emails as if the judge will be reading them. And so uh, some apps like uh, Our Family Wizard has a tone meter, and it it doesn't tell you what to do, but it tells you you're getting into trouble. So that's certainly useful. But I think asking yourself is it brief, is it just straight information, is it friendly, is it firm, will really help you not get deeper into the quicksand um, of the situation. And,
0: and another thing that, you know, as you, as you bring it up here first with, um, you know, uh, a lawyer or something along those lines, teachers, I never realized or never thought about that when a, a teacher is now involved, all of a sudden an innocent bystander is involved in your life in a way that they shouldn't be in many ways. And that can be your, your, your child's baseball coach, um, family members. So you have to educate them as well. And how do you do that?
1: Yeah. And, and just do it briefly, of course. Okay. Um, but what, what we suggest is that, you do want to let them know. So if they've if they've got a correspondence that's hostile from your ex, and it's saying that you're being irresponsible about Johnny or something like that, is you want to respond with straight information about the issue they've raised, but also say, um, you know, to a teacher, to a coach, etc. Um, I'm I'm trying to keep you out of, you know, you've been, you've had a communication uh, that's really about a private matter and I'd like to keep you out of this situation. But if you have any questions, feel free to contact me and here's my phone number, email or whatever. So that what they hear is that you're not wanting them to get involved, but you're not defensive about what's being said because you have more accurate information and you're happy to talk about it more if they want. The reality is teachers, coaches, etc., don't want anything to do with people's high conflict divorces. And so they really don't like it when they get pulled in like that, but it does influence how they think. And I've spoken with many clients who say, you know, my co-parent, my ex-wife or ex-husband, has been talking to the teacher, spreading bad rumors about me. What should I do? And so if it's the teacher of your child, you want to go talk to that teacher, but basically say, look, I want to keep you out of this, but he or she has kind of been giving you some misinformation, so I want to make sure you know this is the accurate situation. And then let me know if you want anything else.
0: In in my life, I had a high conflict neighbor and it got pretty testy. I didn't know anything about this. I just knew I had to bite my tongue no matter (sighs) what. And uh, I had a roofer come over and I said to the roofer, whatever you do, don't engage. This person's going to come out and bark at you. Just don't engage because that's just going to make my life worse or just going to make the situation worse. So is this kind of something you also recommend to people who are family members or, or people in these situations don't kind of defend me in, in a way?
1: Yeah, it's a very good idea is to warn people, especially if you're starting to go through a divorce or custody dispute, warn them that they may hear things that aren't accurate and that people may want to try to get them to take their side. And so warn them that I want you just to stay neutral. I don't need you to be my advocate. I just want to encourage you. Don't engage with this, kind of like you said is if If someone's trying to pull you in, just just say, you know no thanks, you know i'll I'll leave that up to you folks, and stay out of it
0: yeah-'cause in in my situation, the roofer did not listen to me. <laughs> and uh, I had at that point had enough of of my neighbor and decided, you know what, I'm going to call the police this time and at least file a report of harassment. And they said to me, um, w- the "Police are already there." And I asked, "What are you What are you talking about?" She called the police on the roofer the next day and they came over she wanted to press charges of attempted murder because at one point he said get away from me or i'm going to kill you and anyway it, that's how it erupted but that with these high conflict people you never know what's going to happen and you know not engaging sometimes is the is the best play
1: yeah well it's it's it is good to not engage but also be aware that extreme statements will be made that there'll be distortions of what's been said. So someone, you know, I have no idea what the person said, but I'm quite a skeptic after working in this field for decades, (laughs) is is someone telling me, you know what so-and-so said, and I'll go, okay, what'd they say? Oh, okay, well, that's interesting. Without acting like I'm believing it or not, because a whole lot of stuff that gets said is an exaggeration. Mm And unfortunately, today, the world needs to have a healthy skepticism, um, because there's a lot of statements that are being made by what we call high conflict people with the five different personalities you described, um, that are exaggerations or simply totally false. And it's, it's, people are unprepared for that, uh, today, but we're we're teaching them, um, And don't believe everything you hear. Check things out. Is that really true? And is that really a crisis? That's why I tell people. Ask yourself those two questions when someone tells you, oh, my goodness.
0: (laughs) So, you know, in in your book, you have a a section of the three A's, which is admonishments, advice, and apologies. And there's the one part that I found interesting is at, at a certain point you say, avoid apologies. So can you discuss apologies and and why you should avoid them?
1: Yeah, it's 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 counterintuitive. And I'd say with 80% of people apologies are really a good thing and help resolve a lot of conflicts. But with high conflict people, who I think are 10% or more of people, they see things in all or nothing terms. And so when you apologize for something really tiny, what they hear is you agree it's all your fault. And when you do that in writing, they save that. And then they pull it out of their pocket every so often and say, remember when you admitted it's all your fault. And so what we've learned is just steer clear of that uh, in a BIF response um, there may be a place for a structured apology. Maybe it's a mediation session or something, but don't don't put this in writing to an angry, high-conflict person, or it becomes ammunition. Okay, um, and it's sad to say, but that seems to be the case.
0: And uh, another thing in in the book that I that I hope you can discuss here is gatekeeping and what that actually means, because I found that to be quite interesting.
1: Yeah, so gatekeeping is a term that's become much more common in um, divorce and custody matters uh, over, I'd say, 10, last 10, 12 years. Basically, what it means is one parent um, is used to being like in charge of the kids. And so now that there's a separation, divorce, or... Or not. Even if people aren't married, the dynamics are the same. Um, they're saying, "Well, the kids, um, kids don't want to see you," or "The kids, um, you know, it wouldn't be good for you to take them to that activity." Or, "I'm, I'm, you can't see them on um, this weekend because my grandparents are here," even though it's the other parents' weekend. So they're doing things that that's standing between the kids and the other parent, their co-parent. And so this is called gatekeeping. Now it's generally thought of as a negative thing. In other words, that's not good. You shouldn't be standing between the kids and the other parent. But in court cases, we're starting to see it get refined, so there's there's, you know, unhealthy gatekeeping and protective gatekeeping, and so in some cases, uh, people say, "I'm, you know, I think I think you're high right now, so I'm not going to let you take the kids." And that makes sense if the person's high right now and they're driving and this and that. Um, but it also gets used inappropriately when people are accused of. Uh, Protective gatekeeping when there really is uh, a health risk or a safety risk. So, so it's it's that idea of standing in the way of the other parent's relationship with the kids, and mostly it's not a good thing. But occasionally it's it's realistic. You
0: know, when I I speak to a lot of survivors, I get a lot of emails, and I guess this also relates to um, you know the fine line between parental alienation and being a good parent. So, Mm -hmm. you know, what is that line? Is there a line or is that just on a case by case basis?
1: Well, you know, it's interesting. There's, they're really like with parental alienation, it's either a really big deal or it's not there. I don't see many cases where there's just a little bit of it or it's vague. It's usually, it's really, I mean, I can talk about that for an hour or two, but it's really emotional and people don't realize it's emotional and it's transferred to the child emotionally. And it's something the person is, is sharing, their fear, their anger, um, all of that, their jealousy, et cetera, with the child. And the child absorbs that and builds a resistance to the other parent. So parental alienation which I think is a real thing, but people have to be careful with the courts because the the phrase parental alienation is not favored by the courts. Um, They certainly have rejected parental alienation syndrome, so don't ever mention that in court. Um, But more what's helpful is to talk about behaviors. And so, you know, the mother's engaged in an alienating behavior such as enlisting, you know, blocking this, making appointments during my time, etc. I also said the mother, it could be the father. As a family lawyer, I've had both mothers and fathers be rejected by their children because of alienating behaviors. So that's, and and that really bleeds into the gatekeeping issue because that's often where you see, the children start resisting or refusing to be with a parent because the other parent's so overextended in um, blocking the kid's relationship. So, so gatekeeping and alienating behaviors are often the same thing.
0: And when it comes to, um, I guess, the the high conflict person. Uh, and I wouldn't say gatekeeping situations, but more of, um, changing or changes that are, are going on. You know, there's a big part of, uh, of your book that, uh, deals with what do you do when big changes happen? Um, things about social media and a lot of stuff. Are these things that are, you put in the divorce decree, um, that you recommend to people or are these things that will be constantly changing?
1: Well, I think the more high conflict it is, the more specific the divorce decree needs to be about what can be done, what can't be done. Uh, first of all, I encourage judges, lawyers, mediators, et cetera, to be specific about things that aren't okay, that often lead like, to alienation. And so I say, you know, say specifically. Don't discuss your legal case with the children. Don't schedule activities during the other parents' parenting time without the other parents' permission, like doctor's appointments and things. Because that's often how we see this show up. It's like, oh, well, of course, the doctor's appointment's more important than their time with the other parent, things like that. Um, don't, Don't cry about the case in front of your children. Um, It's not just anger, it's also sadness. Um, Don't show court papers to the children. Um, Don't tell the children that the divorce was the other parent's fault. Don't talk about whose fault it was. Um, Don't talk about why you don't have much money. Don't say, well, I have to give all the money to your mother, or your father doesn't pay me enough, or those kinds of things. I I'm in San Diego, about 100 miles from Disneyland. And so we hear things like, well, sorry, kids, I can't take you to Disneyland. I have to give your mother all my money. Or sorry, kids, we can't go to Disneyland because your father barely pays me enough for us to eat. <laughs> and so, I, you know, poor Disneyland uh, gets blamed for everything. Um, but, but being specific about what to do, what not to do. Uh, helps. Now, you talk about changes, so various change, like if people move, and then does that mean they change schools, um, all of that. That's what we put in the Biff for Co-Parents book is a lot of uh, correspondence, how to write and how to respond to a hostile email about these important decisions. So we've got 28 examples of conversations and ways you might write those.
0: So I have a situation here. I don't know if this is a good uh, one, but this is a tricky one. I am going to give you. Um, so you have uh, parents are divorced, living in separate homes, and one parent is responsible. Let's say it's fifty-fifty custody. Uh-huh. One parent is responsible; the other one is irresponsible, especially with money. Uh-huh. And you know, let's say you know the the, the electricity bill isn't paid or you know they didn't pay the insurance on on their car and uh, you know it, that puts a guilt aspect on on one parent of oh my god i'm going there and they don't have this stuff and they might cross over that line is there a way within their co-parenting system of how to kind of deal with this and get this person to actually be responsible
1: well, what's tricky, like with high-conflict people, uh, people high-conflict people have a personality pattern that's focused on blame, all-or-nothing thinking, unmanaged emotions, extremes of behavior. And if it's a personality pattern, you're not going to flick a switch and change that. Mm-hmm. You're not going to persuade them that they should now become responsible. I mean, people are... 30, 40, 50 years old is, is not a time that they're going to go, oh, I didn't realize I was being irresponsible. Of course, now I'll be responsible. So I think it's more looking at, in a sense, carrots and sticks is what are the negative consequences? Is this something I have to go back to court on um, or something I won't do? If they won't do this, then I won't do that. And also the carrots is, you know, I really would appreciate if you did such and such. Um, Maybe I should take care of this so that you don't have to worry about it. For example, I have people who, you know, like, like dads, maybe haven't been used to buying the clothes. And so they pay a little bit more support and mom buys all the clothes instead of mom saying, well, you're not paying your half, and I resent that, is work out a solution. It may not be something. You know, when, when it works out well, you see people come up with these solutions, and they tinker with things, and they help each other out. But when it's high conflict, it's, it's not the issue is really not the issue. The personality is the issue, and don't count on changing that. Work so, around them.
0: So, in this case, what someone would do would be they would write a biff response to their ex partner. If their partner did not um do anything about it, then they could take the um, evidence and have things changed from there, where they might be able to get more of the custody. Would that be fair
1: yeah and and I've seen that happen, and that's why keeping your your end of email correspondence really clean with Biff, um, you look good and you go to court and say, I raised this issue two times or three times, received no response, or just received this hostile email back. Um, And therefore, it's clear this isn't going to change unless we have some new court orders. So it's, yeah, I see, I think of all the writing as evidence. That's really sad to think of it that way. But especially that one really super nasty thing you write and hit send, that's the thing that's going to come back to bite you. So you really want to be get getting the habit of doing Biff responses instead of, you know, letting yourself go.
0: So you have also created something called New Ways for Families. And that is uh, something that people can uh, purchase through your website. Um, I think you did it in conjunction with online parenting. Is that true? Yes.
1: Yeah. So it's a a 12-session online parenting, co-parenting class, and thousands of people have taken it. Many people have been court-ordered. We encourage judges, order both parents take it so they're speaking the same language to each other and to the kids. Um, But people can just take it on their own, Um, and it's easy. Come to our website, highconflictinstitute.com, and then look in the menu for new ways for families. We're also now, um, we've been training coaches who do three or more sessions of coaching with the 12-session online class, and that makes the whole package kind of an inexpensive way to actually talk to somebody and also learn some new skills. And BIF is one of the skills we teach in that method, as well as how to make proposals to each other and get respectful responses, as well as to give yourself encouraging statements to cope while you're going through all of this, and tips for things you can say to the kids. So, We actually have a 12-session co-parenting class, as you said, with online parenting programs, OPP. And we also have four hours of parent-child, new ways for families also. So it's really about teaching skills that people can use anywhere in their life. We call it the four big skills, flexible thinking, managed emotions, moderate behavior, and checking yourself. And it really—it's very positive. People feel very good about it. And also with the subscription, we have support uh, sessions, we have question and answer sessions, and such. So that it's, it's—it's really building a support community, which I know you know something about. Uh, and that's what doing
0: and, and the good thing about you know, I, I have a membership for a year. I pay monthly. Um, mm-hmm. I think it costs me uh, like thirteen dollars uh, a month or something along those lines. It's it's very cheap and it's I mean it's a it's a, it's an, a good deal. Um, uh, there's a lot of information on there, useful. I've used it uh, with my own coaching clients. Um, you know, it, just a great little program, and uh, you know, you're developing so many things. I mean, you've written. Uh, I can't tell you how many books you've written. You've written so many books, and one of them uh, was a book that's a, a very famous book called Splitting. And usually, when you go to Amazon and you type in this kind of stuff, Splitting is one of the first books you'll see uh, when it comes to this. And you're coming out with a uh, a sequel to the book, a, a second. Is it a second edition or just a, or a continuation of what you've learned?
1: It's a it's a second edition, which includes what was in the first but there's updates of some of that information and there's two additional chapters. So there's more information than before about antisocial personality disorder because we wrote splitting originally for dealing with a co-parent with borderline or narcissistic personality disorder. But we're seeing a lot of antisocial personality disorder mixed in and antisocial is the one that really deceives people and really confuses and deceives uh, legal professionals, counselors, lawyers, mediators, judges. And so we want to give people the heads up with this. But also we include more more tips on how to present your case. We know a lot of people are trying to find a lawyer and they want to say, how do I explain my case in simple terms? So we give suggestions for that. Or people who represent themselves in court and how to present your case uh, there. So, and this just comes out uh, July first, twenty twenty one. So it's um, it's really ripe for what people are needing. I think.
0: Yeah. So when it comes to a high conflict person in, in divorce in court, uh, just the whole process. Even if you're not in court and you're just doing your own, uh, you know, mediation yourself, your your own divorce yourself. I, I say to people, you know, when you go to court, you can't tell anyone, oh, this is what this person is. This is what this person is. You have to come up with your own strategies. But at the same time, these people might not be diagnosed. So uh, do you have to really when – you, when you get splitting, uh, When you, if someone recommends it, do you, do you look at it and say, figure out which type you think yours is and then develop a strategy?
1: Um, yes and no. In other words, it's a lot of general principles where it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Um, You really want to take the approach like presenting patterns, not diagnoses. Don't say in court, well, I think my wife has borderline personality disorder. My husband has narcissistic personality disorder. Don't don't say that the judges are offended by that. Instead, you say, you know, my co-parent has a pattern of behavior that's very concerning. Um, She, she yells and screams at the kids. She throws things. Uh, Sometimes she locks them in their rooms Um, and she lies to professionals or misleads them. Um, And she's undermining my relationship. She's saying all these negative things. So you organize like your three most concerning patterns and explain these are longstanding patterns. They're not going to change unless we have some really strong court orders. So that's a general approach. In terms of how you interact um, with specifics to certain personalities, if someone, say, your co-parent is borderline, then you really want to emphasize um, empathy, staying calm, Uh, you know, I can understand your frustration. Um, Let's look at what we can do. And if if your co-parent's narcissistic, then you want to use the word respect a lot. Like, I do respect your relationship with our child. And I do respect your time. And I hope you'll respect my time too. So these are special things. And if you think you're dealing with an antisocial, um, don't, waste a lot of energy um, trying to change them, uh, really think carrots and sticks. If you do this, this is the benefit, and this is what what we'll you know, all have to do if you don't do that. And don't think you're going to make the other person do something. Think of what you can do different to deal with the situation. So anyway, those are some general principles and then some specific principles. <laughs>
0: Some people want to give consequences or at least, you know, we're, we're in a court setting now or this person really isn't agreeing with anything that is going on. They've never been given consequences. How do you get to how, – how do you get to someplace where there is a consequence for someone, where there is something at risk when they want to just kind of keep this going?
1: Yeah, well, that's part of where you may really need to go to court. Mm-hmm. And I encourage people to try to settle your case out of court. It won't be as escalated as if you go to court. But sometimes you need an adult in the room saying, you can't do that, and this will be what happens, Uh, such as reduction in parenting time. Uh, So you sometimes need to go to court to do that. But the other is, often parents are helping each other out in different ways. And you say, if you continue to do such and such, I'm not going to be able to continue helping you in this other way. Um, so, you know, sometimes people ask for favors. They say, well, will you switch or do this or that? And if you can, it's a good idea to do it, A show a good faith and a role model of getting of cooperativeness. But if the other parent's doing certain negative things, you say, I'm going to have to stop doing this, this, and this. So it's up to you. I hope that won't be necessary. But if you continue doing X, Y, Z, I'm going to have to stop doing A, B, C.
0: You know, and on top of uh, your splitting and, and now the sequel, another great book uh, that you have is High Conflict uh, Personalities in Court. What's the official title of that book?
1: Well, High Conflict People in Legal Disputes. Yeah, yeah, which is a great
0: book. Great book.
1: And that was really the first book. Um, and that's already been on its second edition for about five years now. So in five more years we may uh have to have a third edition. But all of these, the basic principles in all these books are continue to be the same. And unfortunately, the lack of knowledge by many legal professionals is still the same. So often I find clients and individuals become more educated than the professionals they're working with. And what I say is find professionals you can communicate with, and you can share the tips you have that may help them help you in your case.
0: So I have some, uh, audience questions. Sure. Okay. I don't know if you'll be able to answer them or we've probably already (laughs) answered them anyway. Um, so how do you help a child or how do you prevent your child from not having the same issues as your high-conflict uh, ex-spouse?
1: Excellent question. And, and here's my, my recommendation. First is, is the new ways for families teaching those four big skills is, is a good thing to learn yourself and then teach those to your child. But in general is these four big skills are flexible thinking, managed emotions, moderate behavior, and checking yourself. And you can teach your child those skills. We call them the four big skills for life. You can teach your child those skills every day in little ways when things pop up. You know, you see something on TV and somebody's screaming at somebody else, and you can say, Johnny, that guy's not managing his emotions very well, is he? Um, Or we have to make a decision. Let's use our flexible thinking. We could do this. We could do that. We could do that. And so if we use our flexible thinking, uh, which would be the best idea? If it's something that you're allowing the child to participate in deciding so that the kids start getting this idea, flexible thinking, managed emotions, moderate behavior, and checking yourself are good things to do, and that's what my mom's doing, or that's what my dad's doing. And then when the other parent is acting the opposite of that, like unmanaged emotions, the child can start going, oh, you know, mom has a, has a hard time with managed emotions, and and comes back from time with mom and tells dad, you know, Mom's just like so angry. She's, she's like unmanaged emotions. And, and dad can say, wow, well, some people have a harder time with that than other people. But we're getting pretty good at managing our emotions, Johnny, aren't we? So teaching those four big skills will help, in a sense, immunize the child from learning those from the other parent or learning the negatives from the other parent.
0: And here is another question, which this one I hear a lot from people, which is phone time. When uh, one parent calls the the child at the ex-spouse's home and they are given a fraction of the time that they were supposed to be given. And then the other parent, when the child is at the house, occupy a calls and then wants all the time in the world to occupy. Is this just one of those situations where you have to just record everything and then go back to uh, court? How do you kind of get around something like that?
1: Well, to me, when that continues to be a problem, what I really recommend is that you don't have phone time with a parent when the child's at the other parent's house. That both parents, it's just that's that parent's time uninterrupted uh, you're going to see your child in two days, so if you don't talk to him for two days, it's not the end of the world. And I've had many cases where we've had that court order, that there's no phone contact. It's really the, the parallel parenting idea, and you can do that with a 50-50 schedule, an 80-20 schedule. It's the idea that you're not contacting, you're not intruding into the other parent's time. And that's really um, a big issue. When, when the door is open for that, it's very disruptive and actually can contribute to alienation. I had a case I represented a mom as her lawyer. She had two-thirds of the parenting time, but dad had this phone time like you're describing And he used it to quiz the child, what's mom doing now? What's your stepdad doing now? And eventually turned the boy against his mother because of these intrusive phone calls. Now, he was a very high-conflict person with a personality disorder. But that's – so that's the big solution. And judges are starting to realize the benefit of that. The the smaller solution, I would think, would be – you know it's tricky about recording because some judges really don't like that because they feel like you're playing cops and spies on each other. Um, but if you just if you do keep track, it's like he gets half an hour and I I usually just get five minutes. Um, you could present that at court, but I really think the solution to go for is just not having those phone calls.
0: Just like at the beginning of our conversation when it came to what is um you know when do you engage and when do you not engage, this is a situation where it's just better to not have any conflicts to just get rid of the situation completely.
1: Yes. It really you know it's 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 sad to say, but it really makes it so much easier.
0: And you mentioned uh parallel. Parenting, uh, there. So, for people that don't know what parallel parenting is and the difference between co-parenting, can you just kind of explain uh, that and what the why you would have to choose parallel over co-parenting?
1: Yeah. So, let's say eighty percent of parents can do co-parenting decently, but let's say twenty percent, the high conflict cases, really that's just constantly filled with conflict, the emails back and forth. You should have done this. You didn't do that. Um, And so parallel parenting is you really stop having those, all those emails, stop making all those joint decisions and pretty much live your lives sealed off from each other, except for extreme emergencies. And so, whatever the schedule. And and of course, it's probably easiest if it's 50-50 because they're both very involved with kids that way. And I think of cases I've had that uh, were really high conflict, a lot of allegations, many of them false, uh, that didn't really settle down until they stopped having joint communication except for emergencies. There was no calling into each other's homes. Um, And I think of one case I had once a year, they meet with a parenting coordinator and map out the schedule for the next 12 months, and then they didn't change the schedule. There was none of this trading weekends, etc. It's just all very strict. And I remember my client, who's the father in that case, was, he just said, it's really working, um, and sad to say, but but what's interesting is some people just can't co-parent very well, but they're decent parents, and this is a way to resolve that. Let them be a good parent, and just stop the fight of co-parenting with them.
0: And uh, another question I got from someone is about. Triggers, And not triggers specifically from their ex, but when they get triggered by their children who um, either—and their children are innocent in these situations. They don't know that they're doing specific acts or saying certain things, uh, but it keeps that parent— uh, in that situation, in that kind of inner turmoil and, and maybe uh trauma situation is is there any recommendations you can help uh in that situation where they can uh, not be triggered by their children in, in those situations it, it, or or can you is it inevitable that this is going to happen
1: um, yes and no um I think first of all trying not to take that stuff personally, developing your own, uh, self-talk that tells you, you know, that's coming from somewhere else. It's not about me. Um, I don't have to take that personally. Um, also just telling the kids, you know, you don't have to worry about that. You know, the kids might say, you know, uh um, dad says that we can't go to Disneyland because he has to give you all his money. And so for mom, it's like, you know, kids, you don't have to think about all that stuff. Um, Those are things for grownups to decide. Money, activities, stuff like that. So uh, if there's something you want to do, talk to me about it. We'll decide what we're going to do. What your father does is going to be up to him. And you're just kids, so don't worry about this stuff. You shouldn't be, you shouldn't be part of conversations like that. And I'm not going to involve you further. Something like that. Um, I think of a case I had, I was actually consulting with a woman with her four year old boy years ago. And dad was saying all this stuff and involving the child in all these adult discussions and things. And she really learned to say, you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to think about that. And I consulted with her for like 12 or 13 years. And and she said her son is doing great now. He's 20. And he just really knows what belongs to him and what doesn't belong to him emotionally. You know, and that's just he just sounds really well prepared for a healthy adult relationship. So I think that's the thing to do when your kids cross a line and just say, kids, you don't have to worry about that.
0: So before we end off our uh, show, uh, what are things that we kind of haven't discussed that you want everyone to uh, know what you're up to, what you're doing? Um, or, or just kind of reiterate what you've already said.
1: Well, this, I'll, I'll talk briefly again about Biff. That the Biff for Co-Parents book is the th- the third book we have on Biff now, and it's devoted 100% to co-parenting issues. Has 28 scenarios, uh, changing doctors' appointments, uh, deciding schools, uh, birthday parties, just all these possible issues. We we demonstrate how it's not good to respond and then how it's good to respond and how it's good to start those conversations.
0: And and there's scenarios in, in, in this book, uh, all these different scenarios. It's not just, they're not just mentioned. I mean, you have conversations in there, full conversations, how to do things for every little thing. It is really useful book. So I I can't say enough about it.
1: Yeah, it's all different, all different co-parents. So you see names after names, uh, use. But in the back of the book, I'll just point out, it's on page 219 for people that want to look for it, is the 28 different kind of scenarios, special diet, soccer, uh, lateness, paying for activities, summer vacation, trading weekends, Christmas holiday. We have all those conversations uh, built in. So there's that. And then the splitting book, that's the second edition coming out this year, um, just has more information. It's it's what was there before plus more information. So I think we're learning more and we're trying to pass that on to parents as quickly as possible because it's really stressful, I think, being a co-parent in modern times where you have so many pressures, the kids have so many issues. We had COVID on top of all of this. Um, So we really want to be supportive of parents and give them all the information we can.
0: And everything can be found at uh, highconflictinstitute.com. The New Ways for Families is at
1: conflictplaybook.com. So if you want to take the New Ways for Families and you haven't been court ordered to do it, Go to conflictplaybook.com. And if you have been court-ordered to do it, go to High Conflict Institute, then New Ways for Families, and then you do the program that you get a certificate for court.
0: And just so everyone knows, I own all of these (laughs) (laughs) and more. I use uh, all of these with uh, my clients as well, all the strategies from court. To family situations, everything is useful. I mean, thank you so much for for being here. Um, You are you kind of an unsung hero uh, for so many people uh, in America and around the world to to get themselves through these situations, and you know you really deserve a medal. Um, <laughs> from someone really high up. So it's so. thank you so much for, for being here uh, with me today. You're going to, you already help a lot of people. You're going to help a lot of people listen to the show. So thank you so much for being here.
1: Well, thank you, Brandon, for the chance to talk to your your people. So um, your work is great too. So we're all in this together. Yep. Thanks so much.
0: Thank you. And for myself and Bill Eddy, I hope, or we hope, you have a good night.